With the best all-inclusive vacation deals to Mexico and the Caribbean, booking your getaway with cheap Caribbean vacations means you have more freedom to do your deal. Whether you enjoy snorkeling, endless margaritas, and more, or simply soak up the sun and sand in a tropical paradise, Cheap Caribbean Vacations has your deal for that. Plan and book the exact getaway you want at exactly the right price for you by using our exclusive budget beach finder or find a featured all-inclusive package to Jamaica and do your deal at CheapCaribbean.com. The Andy Poland Show. we got to go after this with everything we got, thinking they're going to come with everything they got. I'll start off by saying I'm bored, I'm broke, and I'm back. The Andy Poland Show on ESPN 630 starts right now. This is a Thursday, and generally Tony is off on Thursday, and he's off today, and I'm disappointed by that, not because I'll be filling his hour from 11 to 12, but I'm really anxious to hear what he has to say about the death of Bobby Knight. He knew Bobby Knight. And, um, you know, over the years, he used to say this all the time. Uh, There was a column that he wrote probably five or six times, and he said he could write it every day, that John Thompson and Bobby Knight are the same guy. I didn't know Knight at all. Uh, I knew John Thompson from working with him over the years, over, I guess, a 12-year period, and he was very nice to me, very nice to my son, who went to Indiana, and (laughs) you talked to him from time to time about Bobby Knight. Um, and I, you know, John Thompson at his worst was nowhere near Bobby Knight at his worst. It wasn't, wasn't even close, but they were in many ways soulmates. And I'll, I'll get into that uh, a little bit later on uh, as, uh, Thompson, when he did his radio show, had Knight on quite a few times. And at one point when Knight was talking about Thompson, he began to cry. He was so moved about talking about somebody he admired so much and I, I think the admiration was mutual, but you know, both of them had flaws, and Knight had major flaws. And boy, you, you talk about ink spilled. That's an old term. Uh, I guess the internet doesn't work that way anymore. But the amount of words that have spilled out since the death was announced, I guess it was in the evening, wasn't even uh, in the afternoon, is, is remarkable. And some of the writing is remarkable. I could spend the next three hours reading some of the things that have been written, but I've tried to pull out some of the highlights to, uh, to highlight just what an incredibly interesting person he was. Now, that you could make the case that he's the worst ogre of all time, and you could also make the case that he is the greatest basketball coach who ever lived, and his good qualities outweighed his bad qualities. I don't know if I would go there, but some people would, and, and people revered Bobby Knight. He had plenty of people around him who supported some of the nonsense that he did, but there's no questioning what he was able to do as a basketball coach, and that's win games. He was incredibly consistent with rosters that didn't have future NBA stars. He had a bunch of first-round picks, uh, teams taking a, a chance on players who they thought would be better in the pros because they had played for Knight and because they were so good in college. Fact of the matter is that Knight squeezed every ounce of talent out of them. The only real NBA superstar he ever produced was Isaiah Thomas. And Thomas, I think, was the first one to leave early. He had a few transfers over the years, as you would expect. But in terms of of star players leaving, I don't think there were any of note. And Isaiah went to the NBA after two years in college when it was becoming more and more common for that. And remember, you know, that was 1981. The first player to go directly from high school to the pros was Moses Malone 
and that was to the ABA. The first to the NBA was Bill Willoughby in 1975. So it was only six years later that Isaiah left school early to go to the NBA, as it was becoming more and more common. But not even, you know, after the uh, after the sophomore years, he did. It was mostly after the junior year. Michael Jordan stayed three years at North Carolina. But uh, I'm just pointing this out to, to show you what Knight was able to do in winning three national championships, 902 victories, the most ever when he retired in 2008 at Texas Tech. And he did it with players who were just a notch, a notch below true NBA talent. He had a bunch of guys who played in the NBA for a while, and like Kent Benson was a number one, number one pick, but he didn't live up to that pick in the NBA and Scott May who was maybe his best college player even better than Isaiah he didn't have much of a pro career either and it just just shows you what he was able to do as a coach but there's so much more to Bobby Knight than just coaching it's it's really an incredible psychological study and uh, I was I was interested to see how much was written today the the front page obit in the post written by Matt Schudel and it's really good it's one of the longest obits I've ever seen. It fills up part of the front page, and it fills up an entire page inside for a basketball coach who, you know, really hasn't been relevant in the last 10 years or so. Mike Vaccaro, New York Post, wrote a column today uh, pointing out that Knight's Wikipedia entry runs over 2,500 words under the heading Criticism and Controversy. He survived punching a policeman in Puerto Rico, survived fighting an LSU fan in a motel lounge, survived choking his best player on videotape, survived throwing a chair during a game. When he was young and volatile at Army, the writers dubbed him Bobby T. By the end, he was routinely labeled a bully. And Bobby T, because he got so many technicals called on him when he was coaching Army, he was there as the head coach at the age of 24. I mean, think about that. And he was not a great college player. He played on great college teams, but rarely got off the bench. In those days, he only played six players. So he was at Ohio State when they had Jerry Lucas and John Havlicek, uh, not just two great college players, but uh, later becoming Hall of Fame NBA players as well. And uh, they won a national championship and went to the finals twice, and, and Knight didn't play much. And as John Feinstein, who probably is the go-to guy on this, and uh, and I would have John on today, the – the issue is he does work for another radio station, and uh, the deal he has, unless he's promoting a book, uh, he gives them an exclusive. And I understand that. He, he gets paid to be on the other station. But uh, I've talked to John many times about Knight. I have written I've, I've uh, written little things in, uh, myself about him, but I've read, I should say, much of what John has written about Knight, his many columns, and the book that uh, really made John, which was Season on the Brink. And uh, if you're not familiar with that relationship, I think it kind of defines Knight uh, in many ways. John was very interested in a book. I think it's one of the greatest sports books ever written. It was written by David Halberstam, Pulitzer Prize winning author, who spent the 1977-78 season with the Portland Trailblazers, with Bill Walton, the defending champions, and Jack Ramsey, the coach. Very interesting team that got off to a 50-8 and start, and Walton got hurt and they, I don't think, got out of the second round of the playoffs. And uh, it is just a, a great inside look on what goes on day-to-day during an NBA season. So John had the idea that he was going to do this with a college season. He was the college basketball writer for the Washington Post, and he got a leave of absence to write the book. And more importantly, he got full cooperation from Bobby Knight. 
Knight said, oh, yeah, okay, yeah, you, you can hang with me every day. And, and John was there every step of the way that season. He's a meticulous reporter. And he wrote everything about what happened during that season, including the language that Knight used when he addressed his team. And the book came out. It became the number one selling sports book of all time. It was number one on the New York Times bestseller list for a long time. And Knight decided, oh, I, I can't have that. That's, that's not who I am. I don't curse like that. <laughs> and so he stopped talking to Feinstein for like eight years. And uh, the, the relationship was you know, pretty frosty from then on. And it, you know, it just kind of defines what Bobby Knight was. He was just so complex and good in so many ways. And, and frankly, when I uh, started to read the book, I didn't like Knight. Uh, the night that I was familiar with was the one who got all that publicity in 1985. And I, who knows if he survived something like this today. But in 1985, they're playing Purdue. They're playing bad. A couple of bad calls by the referees. And he takes a chair and he throws it across the floor. <laughs> and, you know, now you, I think you'd, you'd have to fire him, even though at that point he had won a national or two national championships, 1976 and, and 1981. He won his last one in 87. And uh, he was such an icon at the school that the, the punishment was basically a slap on the wrist. And he spent a long time after that kind of uh, chortling about it in commercials and things like that. It was, it was not a funny thing. And it was a, a petulant act by someone who was a leader, supposedly a leader of young men. And because he was so successful, because he was bringing in so much money for, to the school, they were afraid to touch him. They, they weren't going to do anything to him. And, uh, and he continued his bad behavior. And so um, when I read the book that John did for the season after that, which would have been the 85-86 season, uh, I, I went into it thinking, this guy's a, a jerk. But if you read the book, you get the feeling of the complexity of the man and the many different ways that he could be viewed. Yes, he could be an ogre. He could be a bully, a big bully. But there was such a soft spot, soft spot in his heart for so many things, including his players, uh, who he was tough on and wanted to make them better and knew only one way to do that, and that was to be the general, you know, the guy who was, who was going to be as tough as you could possibly be with them. Uh, I tried to get Jeremy Schapp on the show today. And Jeremy had done an interview with Knight when uh, famously he was fired at Indiana. This would have been September of 2000. And if you remember this, uh, some video had surfaced over the summer of Knight choking Neil Reed three years earlier. Neil Reed had been a player at Indiana and uh, wound up transferring after this. And, uh, and this didn't, again, see the light of day until like three years after the incident happened. And Miles Brand, who was the president of Indiana, said, that's it. We're going to have a zero tolerance policy. Uh, anything that Knight does from here on out, he's gone. Sure enough, he's walking across the campus of Indiana and some kid yells out, hey, Knight. And Knight comes over and he grabs him by the arm and, you know, basically reads him the riot act. You know, you're not supposed to call me by my last name. You call me Mr. Knight or you call me coach. And uh, that got out and that was it. And Brand fired him and Knight couldn't believe he was fired. And there was you know, outcry on the campus. They had protests and, and Knight you know, had a rally uh, nearby at a park and uh, and he was out. They, they moved on. Mike Davis took his place. And as a matter of fact, 
uh, that season, Mike Davis, uh, no, two years later, it was the second season, I guess, that Mike Davis led uh, Indiana to the national championship game where they lost to Maryland. Uh, this was uh, this was the big soundbite from the interview that Jeremy Schaap did with Knight. And, uh, and Knight had a few reporters that he really liked. Uh, he liked Dave Kindred, who's one of the best sports writers of all time. And he liked Jeremy's father, Dick Schaap, who's one of the biggest giants in the history of the sports media business. He's successful as a writer and even more successful on television. And he liked them, so the connection put them together. And, uh, and I'd hoped to, to have Jeremy talk about this today, but he called me last night and he said, you know, I just, it's just not something that I, I want to do at this time. I you know, want to kind of distance myself from this. And it, it, you know, he did what he could. He did a good job on this. But uh, this was night as, as the interviews going on about what happened and how he was fired in Indiana after 29 years and three championships. And, uh, and he wanted to control the conversation. Jeremy is a good journalist. He wanted to ask the questions. Knight wanted to control it, and here's where it hit the climax. Uh, I think I, I when I talked about, about Pat... Bob, you came here to do an interview. I'm asking you questions. When I talked... Well, then let me finish the okay. answer. Is that okay, go Jeremy? Ahead. Is that fair enough? Please go right Have ahead. I interrupted your questions yet? Yes. No, I haven't. You've interrupted my answers with your questions, and then I've tried to get back. So Please let me continue. finish this. you got a long way to go to be as good as your dad. You better keep that in mind. Hmm. Now, Dick Schaap did not like that at all. Uh, he, he came out and ripped Knight, said, you made it personal, and you attacked my son. And I don't know if they ever spoke again because, uh, sadly, Dick Schaap died uh, about a year later, just about a year later uh, after, after 9-11. And, uh, well, it's, uh, you know, again, that's, that's Bobby Knight being Bobby Knight. Uh, this is... Now, this is after um, he had left Indiana. He went and he coached at Texas Tech. He retired in 2008. And over the years, they had various celebrations for the championship teams that he had, including the 1976 team, which is the last team to go undefeated. They went 32-0. and uh, And so Knight was, was you know, asked to come back and celebrate with that team, and he refused to go and was criticized for that. And a short time later, he was on the Dan Patrick show with uh, Dan asking a question that a lot of people wanted to know. Why do we want you to go back to Assembly Hall so bad? I know that might not be on your wish list or front burner here, but why do we, the fans, want closure with this, Coach? Well, I think that uh, I've always really enjoyed the fans. And and, uh, I, I always will. You know, the, on, on my dying day, I will think about how great the fans at Indiana were. And as far as the hierarchy at Indiana University at that time, I have absolutely no respect whatsoever for those people. And with that in mind, I have no interest in ever going back to that university. Most of those people aren't, aren't, aren't all those people out of there, though, Coach? I hope they're all dead. Well, I know some of them are, but um, I don't know. I, I, well, I, I hope the rest of them go. Yeah, I'd like to still see you on that court with that 76 team or Isaiah's team. I don't know. Maybe maybe we're, we want closure. Maybe you don't need the closure. I don't know. But, uh, you know, I, I still hope for it one day. Well, uh, hope rides eternal. Yeah, and in fact, it did happen three years later. Finally, Knight went back to Indiana to celebrate his 
Big Ten championship team from 1980. They didn't win the championship that year. They won it the following year. But he went back to celebrate with them and uh, spent his last few years actually living in Bloomington, right near uh, Assembly Hall, which was, uh, you know, really a, an incredible thing, given how angry he was and, and saying in that conversation with Dan Patrick that he hoped they all were dead. Miles Brand was dead. He died several years uh, after he kicked Knight out, died of, of cancer. Um, but uh, but yeah, that's that's the bitterness coming through. Now, maybe there was some dementia that was starting to set in at that point. Uh, I believe last few years of his life, he um, he did have dementia. But um, but that was that was really um, that was really a, a sad thing to see him carry the grudge as far as he did. Now, Dan Dockich played and coached for night. And he's kind of talking out of both sides of his mouth because last night he gave a glowing tribute to how great it was to play for Bobby Knight. But this was 2019 at the Final Four. So this is uh, it's going back like, what, uh, four and a half years ago. And uh, this is Dockage with Patrick also uh, talking about how he felt about Bob Knight at that time. Are you worried about his legacy? Oh, I don't. I mean, I don't want to sound harsh, but I, I, I don't like him. I don't care okay. anything. I don't have a relationship. I don't want a relationship. I don't want to be around him. Uh, I don't want to see him. Um, I don't care. When did it change? Uh, it didn't, you know, over years, it, you know, I was there 16 years with him. And um, when I left, he was really nasty. Like he really said some bad things about me to high school coaches. And I called him on it. He and his son, Timmy. Just because you left? And you were going yeah, to Bowling Green? Yeah, well, now we're going to get good. Dockets didn't do this. But I'm like, whoa, I was there 16 years. I mean, and then, um, so I called him on it. And he apologized. But it, what are you doing that for? And then um, when, when he got fired in Indiana, it wasn't his fault. It was all our fault. It wasn't Isaiah's fault. It wasn't Buckner's fault. It was, it was the you know guy like me who worked for him, who he could cast aside. And then when I went to ESPN, he... Uh, uh, he, he said a lot of things behind behind the scenes to people that I didn't appreciate. He just he just hasn't been a very loyal guy to me, and I feel like over 16 years I was a very loyal guy, I'm stupid loyal. Like my name of my book is "No Man Is a Hero to His Valet" because I he is is you know pretty much his valet, and you know I I just uh, I just don't I don't like him. Why did you stay so long? Because I was told I was going to be head coach in Indiana by him. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you stay here, and I'm going to quit midway through, and uh, midway through a year, and then you're going to be the head coach. So I thought, you know, Marshall offered me the job twice, once before Billy Donovan got it, um, probably four or five schools. And then when, when Bowling Green came open, I, I had to get out of there. I'd had enough of him. And he probably had enough of me. I just had to get out of there. Okay. Well, uh, Dockage went on and uh, really had a bigger career in media than he had as a coach. And um, this was, I guess, a few years after he really ripped Knight for not going back for the 76 team. Uh, he should have been there for the celebration of the championship team that they won all their games, the last team to do it. But, you know, again, he was a very complicated, complex man, and uh, you can make a stack of good that's as high as the bad if you really work at it. But uh, if you want to just take the first glance, the – Stack of bad is is very, very high. Coming up, uh, Max Scherzer reacting to winning a ring, second time in four years. More from Ron Rivera and Sam Howell on the trades that were made yesterday. And Scott Abraham of ABC7 will join us at 1020. It's the Andy Pollard Show, ESPN 630. 
With the best all-inclusive vacation deals to Mexico and the Caribbean, booking your getaway with cheap Caribbean vacations means you have more freedom to do your deal. Whether you enjoy snorkeling, endless margaritas, and more, or simply soak up the sun and sand in a tropical paradise, Cheap Caribbean Vacations has your deal for that. Plan and book the exact getaway you want at exactly the right price for you by using our exclusive budget beach finder or find a featured all-inclusive package to Jamaica and do your deal at CheapCaribbean.com. What companies deserve your hard-earned dollar? Which would you want to work for? How can you know if they share your values? Just ask us. Just Capital is a nonprofit that tracks who really means business in supporting workers, customers, communities, the environment, and shareholders. We measure progress, track success, and help them be better. When you see the Just Capital seal, you know what's real, because just business is better business. Visit JustCapital.com to learn who makes your dollar count. Oh, the reaction in Ashburn yesterday. Everybody trying to pretend that, oh, it's okay, you know, you got rid of the former number two pick of the draft, the first-round pick the year before. This team was supposedly built on defense. Ron Rivera said, going to carry the team for at least the first part of the season. Now they've carried them to the second most points allowed. They have not been good at all. And uh, while the team may still be in it at three and five with five losses in the last six games, it does look like next year has begun. And we'll get to some of the comments that Ron Rivera made, Sam Howell, and uh, also Terry McLaurin uh, and Scott Abraham, who was out there yesterday in Ashburn. For ABC7, he's going to join us at uh, 1020 and talk about the reaction from out there. And uh, we'll spend some more time on on Bobby Knight in the next hour, passing away yesterday at age 83. Uh, Tony is off today, and uh, I saw some things on Twitter. I, I don't know if this this will happen again. The, the, the two of them have had this on-and-off relationship, which I've been had kind of a ringside seat to for the last 25 years, and that's uh, John Feinstein, who probably is the go-to person on Bobby Knight writing a season on the brink. And uh, if Tony was doing his show today, I don't know if he'd have him on the air or not. I'm not sure. Uh, but I will be looking forward to what he has to say on PTI tonight because he did know Knight. And, uh, and Knight did like some reporters. Dave Kindred was a favorite of his. Dave Kindred, one of the greatest sports writers who ever lived. He's retired now but wrote for the Washington Post and the Atlanta Journal-Constitution and got to know Knight a little bit. And Bob Hamill was his good buddy from Bloomington. He kind of wrote what Knight wanted him to write. But, you know, he had a contentious relationship with the media, for sure. And certainly with Feinstein, who he didn't talk to for eight years after he wrote Season on the Brink. But John really uh, has explored his personality and, uh, and really understands, having been with him basically 24 hours a day during the 85-86 season when he wrote Season on the Brink. And, uh, and he is, his insight is excellent. He wrote a really good column in the Post today about Knight. But let's, uh, let's shift to the World Series a little bit. I've, I've been saying this during the week that I do feel sort of a connection to this uh, in that the Washington Senators, the expansion Senators, who started in 1961 when the original Senators went to Minnesota to become the Twins, they were the team of my youth. My dad took me to my first game at D.C. Stadium in 1966, after the assassination of Robert F. Kennedy in 1968, it became RFK Stadium in time for the start of the 1969 season, and that was the best year that they ever had. They finished 10 games over 500, and 
you know, kind of ironic with the passing of Frank Howard earlier this week. Um, talked a lot about Frank Howard, who was 87 when he passed away. And uh, and just back to just cross my mind, this connection with Bobby Knight. It's interesting, too, that they, they passed like ships in the night, that Frank Howard was a great basketball player at Ohio State, a, a consensus All-American, could have played in the NBA graduated in 1958 or at least left school in 1958 Bobby Knight comes in as a freshman in 1958 didn't play very much on some great great teams that Ohio State had they went to the finals three times winning once with Jerry Lucas and John Havlicek two of the greatest players in college and two great players from the NBA both of them Hall of Famers winners of NBA championships and uh, just just the thought of the divergent personalities that that Howard was beloved. What you see is what you get with a guy six seven, two hundred and eighty five pounds uh, as a player and as a person, just a sterling individual loved by everybody. Bobby Knight, this this polarizing figure. So I just thought that was that was ironic. Two guys from Ohio who achieved greatness in sports. You know, Howard not for the Hall of Fame, but certainly in this area, beloved and beloved as a player and as an individual, and Bobby Knight, well, Bobby Knight was Bobby Knight. But uh, back to the World Series. So uh, these were the Washington Senators who moved to Texas in 1971, and we didn't have baseball for 33 years, which really stunk. But I remember my dad, who had grown up as a fan of the original Senators, going back to the 1940s, uh, and then, you know, with me, a, a fan of the expansion Senators, and we went to a bunch of games together. After they left, he would follow them in the box scores. You know, my dad would, would spend a lot of time with the morning paper every day, uh, ate a big breakfast and would read the paper. And he, he would tell me later in the day, you know, or, or another time, hey, Toby Harris on a good run here. He's, you know, he had three hits in the other, the other night's game. And, you know, Jeff Burroughs, who had been here, and there were Bozzi, you know, the pitcher. Name is escaping me now. But anyway, he was somebody that we followed. And so, you know, the years passed. Toby Harrow moved on to Cleveland. He finished his career with Texas. But uh, but it was just it was just a, a period of time where, you know, you sort of had an, a, a connection to that team because they had been the Washington Senators. Well, so many years have passed. And anybody who remembers that is, is probably got to be close to my age. You know, they left when I was 13 years old. So to see them celebrate was was kind of fun. Now, I was in Texas when they were brutally bad. They were a terrible, terrible team when I was in Dallas from 1981 to 83. I got there at the end of the 81 season, so I saw all of 82 and most of 83 before I left, and, and they were just the dregs of baseball. Uh, and, and I, you know, took a little bit of joy in that, <laughs> in that, you know, they'd broken my heart 12 years earlier by leaving, but they finally get their World Series championship, and they do it, you know, in a year where we talked a lot about these teams that didn't spend a lot of money, like the, uh, like the Baltimore Orioles and had a great season, uh, Tampa Bay doesn't spend a lot of money and teams that flamed out spending big like the Mets and uh, and like the Red Sox and uh, and even the Dodgers who who made the playoffs but went out. Um, you know, we looked at, well, you know, maybe maybe there's a new way of doing things. Well, the Rangers spent money. They did. They spent a lot of money and they spent money on Corey Seager, who and this surprises me because they started giving out the World Series MVP in 1955. So that's that's a long time ago, and you think of all the great players who have played since then, including you know Willie Mays, Hank Aaron, 
uh, you know, Mickey Mantle had the bulk of his career after 1955. Only four players have won multiple World Series MVPs. This surprises me. Corey Seager is one of them. He won the other one with the Dodgers in 2020. The other three, these are three of the greatest names in the history of baseball who have won more than one World Series MVP. Sandy Koufax, Bob Gibson, and Reggie freaking Jackson. And Seeger and Jackson are the only ones to do it with two different teams. Reggie won one in 1973 with the A's, and the other one, of course, in 1977 with the Yankees, where he hit three home runs in Game 6, the straw that stirs the drink. If, if you gave me those four names, I would say, what's Seeger doing in, that, in there? But this is, this is all part of modern baseball with the various layers of, of playoffs. Remember, there were no playoffs when Koufax played. You won the pennant, you went to the World Series. Same thing with Bob Gibson. Uh, maybe later in his career they had playoffs, but uh, you know, 1967 when the, uh, when the Cardinals won the World Series, I think that's when he was an MVP, uh, they didn't have playoffs then, just had uh, American League, National League. And then Reggie, you know, everybody remembers Reggie in 77 and was a great player with the A's who won three straight. But Corey Seager in there. And in the postseason, he was tremendous. 66 at-bats, finished with six homers, 18 runs, 21 hits, 12 runs batted in, averaged 318. So he was deserving of it. But, you know, you look at the list of multiple MVP winners – Bob Gibson, Sandy Koufax, Reggie Jackson, and Corey Seager. Kind of along for the ride, but I guess he, you could say he made a contribution. He did, he did give them three scoreless innings uh, in game three, I guess, game three of the series. Uh, Max Scherzer uh, celebrating on the field last night with Robert Flores of the MLB Network. All right, this is not your first rodeo. <laughs> But you're acting like it's your first rodeo. Uh, because this is the greatest moment you can have, uh, to be with a team and win a championship. There's not a better feeling. Uh, watch these guys do it. Be out there grinding with them. What a feeling. I know you got here late, but Travis Jankowski, who is this is also his first year, he said there was something special. He picked up on it right away. What did you see when you got here? It was just a clubhouse that worked. Uh, I just came in. And just did my thing, fit in, and we just we just ran the table. That's what happened, and that's what's great to be a part of it. Lastly, I heard you talking about a party. Is there going to be a party going on? Oh, we're going to drink. <laughs> we're going to drink till we drown. <laughs> Congratulations, man. Thank you. Drink until we drown, and I guess the party's still going on. It's uh, Arizona, Now I don't know whether they flew back last night or flying back today, um, and it'll be interesting to see if they have a parade. I guess they will. Um, you know, it's still a Cowboys town. But the teams that have won now since the Cowboys won their last Super Bowl, uh, which would have been 1996, right, the 95 season, and that's when they beat uh, Pittsburgh in Arizona, by the way. So that's, or, that's kind of cool. Um, but since then, you've had the, the hockey team, which used to be the Minnesota Stars, and now they're the Dallas Stars. Uh, they won in 1999. The Mavericks won in 2010. I think it was 2010 that they won. And now the Texas Rangers have won. And the Cowboys are walking in the desert, you know. And and Cowboys Super Bowl championship, that that used to be synonymous, especially during that three-year period, four-year period where, where Jerry won three of them. But uh, with Jerry running the show, they haven't been able to do that. So uh, I won't have to talk to him. Maybe we'll get Dave Barnett on next week and, and talk about the reaction to that. Let's get back to the commanders and the reaction to the trades from the other day. Ron Rivera asked the obvious question when you trade 
the number two pick of the draft and a first rounder from the year before what you thought would be the cornerstones of your team, really. I mean, your defense was was supposed to carry the team and now you deal them away. Is this a sign that you've punted the season? No, what I would say is, you know, based on some of the things that we've seen and, and some of the growth and development we have, it's an opportunity to see what else we have. It's, it's an opportunity to go out and, you know, win football games using different guys. And, and, and we feel that we have an, an opportunity to go out and play and play well. Um, we look forward to seeing what some of these young guys can do. Um, we do think that, you know, there's every opportunity in front of us. And, you know, I've gone through this before. In, in 2014, I went through the same thing. We were late in the season, and we put a bunch of young guys that we felt had the opportunity or deserved the opportunity and put them out on the field and ended up in the playoffs. Um, you know, we won some games that, that gave us a chance. Um, do we have that opportunity? I think this is what this is. I think it's the same kind of an, an opportunity. Um, you know, we do feel strongly about the quarterback. It's something that, you know, I talked about in the offseason. I've talked about through training camp. But I've talk, talked through the beginning of the season about the growth and development, and, and we're seeing it. And so we want to see what we have and, and, and see if we can, we can win football games and uh, put ourselves in that same position. So what he's saying is, uh, don't, don't look over here. Look over here at Sam Howell. Uh, look at how we're developing him. Now, also, you kind of have to listen carefully there, but it, it sounds like he's saying we're not going to necessarily spend our money on defense for a while. We're going to spend it on offense, which is not not a, not a, an unreasonable thing to do. I mean, that's this is an offensive league. you you got to score points. And he's saying we're going to build around Sam Howell. Now, they're missing – Offensive line help, obviously. Uh, Andrew Wiley looks like he's been a bust. Uh, the center that they got from the Giants, he's already on the bench. Uh, and and that, that has been some bad spending. So I think the feeling is that going into next year, they're going to beef up the offensive line, maybe go after a top tight end in free agency. They're going to have a lot of money to spend. they got like $90 million in cap space. And with all these picks – you know, see what they come up with. And also, uh, even though he's saying, yeah, we, we think we found our quarterback, they've also got capital to trade up. And I, I would not be opposed, as, as much of the development as we've seen with Sam Howell, I would not be opposed to see him take a quarterback in the first round. I, I think that would be a, a fine thing. Sam Howell, deal with it. You know, don't don't get you know, Robert Griffin the third. Oh, God, he was he was a, he was a mental mess that they took Kirk Cousins in the fourth round. I don't think it would phase him, and I think I think that's something that you have to do, and especially within what's coming an 18-game schedule, you got to have multiple quarterbacks. So if you got one cheap like Hal, and you're going to get another one relatively cheap, even if you take him in the first round, it's worth it. This was uh, Hal yesterday. The message that Rivera delivered to the team before practice yesterday. He was he was positive this morning, um, and obviously you know when when you trade two good players away, you know it, it can hurt a locker room, but. You know, at the same time, it creates opportunity for some other guys. And I think, you know, there's been a lot of guys on that defense that have proven they can contribute. Um, you know, there's been you know, obviously Casey's done a good job. You know, James Smith Williams done a good job. And so we got we got guys that can, you know, come in and contribute and feel like and we feel like they can come in and play well. Um, so we, we feel like we have a good chance. You know, we feel like we have, we have a good football team and we know inside of this building what we're capable of. Um, it's just a matter of going out there and putting putting out consistent behavior every single week. And this is Rivera on his version of what he said to the team. Sorry, a little fast there. Go ahead. The biggest message more than anything else was, guys, you know, it's always difficult when you say goodbye to guys that help you and, and help grow and develop together. 
Um, but it's also part of the, the business. It's the business side of it, and that's never easy. And for us, the biggest thing more than anything else is this is creating some opportunities for some other guys. It's creating a different opportunity for us as a football team, and we've got to take the and make the best of it. Hmm. Now, this is, uh, this is one of the great lines from the movie North Dallas 40, and it's said by, I think it was John Matuzak who said it. He was uh, O.W. Shattuck, played a, an offensive lineman, maybe a defensive lineman, definitely a lineman, and uh, at, and he said, you know, and he said to his coach, he says, every time we say it's a business, you say it's a game. Every time we say it's a game, you say it's a business. This is Ron Payne watching you guys he's played alongside of for several years go. And he says, hey, just business. Oh, man, this is a part of the business, man. You stay one place for so long, like you'll see people leave and people come. So. It is what it is. I know they're going to go on and do great things in their career. I know that it's business, but it's also personal for guys who form relationships. So how no, nah, it ain't never personal in this business. It's always business. As somebody that's committed here, though, and signed an extension, did it hit you a little differently about, like, where are we going next? What do you mean? like Just as an organization. Uh, I mean, it ain't for me to worry about, honestly. I just go out there and try to play hard on Sundays. Did you, did you have a chance to say, say goodbye? Did you text him? What, what was that like? I, I, got, I mean, I, I got to speak to, uh, well, not really speak. I really dapped him up before I left out yesterday, and then the news broke. So I haven't gotten to talk to him since then. How'd you find out? Just through the Internet, like everybody else. Really. <laughs> what was, like, your initial reaction? I mean, you kind of figured they wanted to do, make some moves. So, I mean, the job still got to get done. So, you feel me? I'm going to go out there and play hard like, like I post to. Just that, that stunt that you and Tez have run so often. <laughs> the exit, man, that boy, man, he, Tez is a freak, bro. I, I love playing with him. Um, he's a, a hard worker. He gets after the quarterback, and uh, he just he make it easy for people like me. So he definitely would be missed. But it's the next man up mentality. So what have you seen from Two Hill and James Smith-Williams to kind of fill their spots? I mean, you can see them boys on tape, man. Them boys be flying around, making plays, and uh, playing hard, rushing hard. So this is it ain't like we are uh, just dropping off. They're some good players. A couple of other uh, quick reacts. Uh, this is Terry McLaurin, who's he's been here since 2019 and was hoping they were building something this year to be really good. Now looking at maybe a step back and his feelings on the trade. You never know it's going to be real until it's real. So um, I think it kind of sinks in when you come in here and you don't hear them, you don't see them. You know what I mean? They're two big guys walking around here, so they're hard to miss. So I think that's when it's reality. I think I saw Cam say earlier he saw somebody walking by. He was like, damn, I thought that was I thought that was Tez. You know what I mean? So, like, it's, it's definitely a weird feeling not having them here. Um, but, again, I know they're going to be successful in their next stops, and uh, I wish them the best. And uh, – um, but I'm looking forward to see how James and, and Casey take over their roles. No, but doesn't have a choice on that. Uh, last thing from Hal, and uh, this is Hal reacting to the trade yesterday and uh, how he feels about the team going forward. It's always tough. Um, you know, just two great teammates, two great players. Um, and, you know, obviously I didn't have anything to do as far as the decision-making of the trades, but, you know, they did whatever they felt was best for the team and as far as the future goes. Um, but, yeah, I mean, uh, I hate to lose those two guys. Um, obviously, tremendous, tremendous players, but they're just great guys. Great guys in the locker room. They're fun to be around, um, and they work really hard. Uh, so yeah, I wish those guys well, um, and I want nothing for the best of them. You know, as a player in the locker room, when when you see two of the best defensive players get traded away, 
what is the significance about that in terms of the direction of this franchise? How do players view that? Is it like, do you view it as like a reset or a rebuild? Or how do you kind of approach what the franchise is trying to do here? Yeah, I mean, honestly, we the players aren't really involved in many of those conversations. Um, you know, for us, we just try to control what we can control um, and try to do the best we can on a daily basis to help this team win football games. And I think, obviously, you know, you lose two players like that, it's, it gives a opportunity for some other guys to get in there and, and, and prove, you know, what they can do. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, we still have a lot, of, a lot of football left this year, and, you know, we're not just fully set on rebuilding. You know, we're trying to win right now, and we feel like we have the players to do that. Um, and so we're going to do everything it takes to try to win each and every game that we play. So that's Sam Howell yesterday. Scott Abraham, ABC7, there for all of the, the, the yak yesterday in Ashburn. He'll join us next with reaction to the reaction as we continue with the Andy Poland Show, ESPN 630. With the best all-inclusive vacation deals to Mexico and the Caribbean, booking your getaway with cheap Caribbean vacations means you have more freedom to do your deal. Whether you enjoy snorkeling, endless margaritas, and more, or simply soak up the sun and sand in a tropical paradise, cheap Caribbean vacations has your deal for that. Plan and book the exact getaway you want at exactly the right price for you by using our exclusive budget beach finder or find a featured all-inclusive package to Jamaica and do your deal at CheapCaribbean.com. Movies, TV shows, books, podcasts, and more. It's what women binge with Melissa Joan Hart and her friend Amanda Lee. We have Lauren Bosworth with us. Yay! The Hills. So what is like your number one question from fans? The primary question I still get asked was, what, is it real? <laughs> In 2024, to me, is a surprising question to get because I feel like everybody has been through the reality TV gauntlet at this point. What women binge wherever you listen. The Andy Poland Show on ESPN 630, the sports capital. In for Tony today, so roll until noon. Much more on the death of Bobby Knight. Much more reaction to the World Series as the team of my youth is World Series champions. Huh? It's kind of an empty feeling, but eh, it is what it is. Scott Abraham, ABC7, is with us. We've been playing a lot of the audio that came out of the locker room yesterday in Ashburn as the players are doing everything they can to stay away from the R word, rebuilding. But uh, how would you describe, Scott, having been in the locker room for the last four or five years, what, what was it like yesterday in comparison to some of the other times you've been in there? Um, I think there was an initial shock. And, you know, I think the the one that really stuck out to me was Terry McLaurin because he always has, like, an extra pep in his steps when he talks mm-hmm. to the media, always very uh, engaged and almost uh, energetic in a sense. And uh, I did not get that from him um, yesterday. There was a seriousness about it. And uh, I think he – remember, him and Chase Young go way back to the Ohio State days. So, right. Um, I think it's I think it's tough for him to to see like a Chase Young leave, and uh, he said all the right things, right? I mean, nobody really said any headline popping things like I don't know if I like this direction or they were very calculated and smart and said the right things. And we got a job to do. We have a game on Sunday, um, but they they know um, the NFL is a business. But at the same time, what Washington did is not typical. It's not normal what you see at a trade deadline. So, obviously, they understand there, there's a bigger plan uh, in that front office. And McLaurin is, what is he, 28, 29 now, right? He's not, he's not yeah, young. Yeah, yeah and, no. and, and, and he's been here since 2019. And, boy, has he seen, 
you know, the worst of times. He went through all the, the mess with Dan Snyder. And I think going into this season, he was probably seeing the light at the end of the tunnel, he thought. And this is a team that Ron Rivera said at the beginning of the year was going to be built on defense. The defense would have to carry him. The defense has been a major disappointment. And McLaurin can see that there's a rebuild that's going on here. He signed up for the long term. And now he's probably reaching the state of his career where you wonder, you know, if he's going to be playing on a good team before it ends. Yep, that's an excellent point because you, you kind of have to look in the mirror and be like, am I kind of trapped here? Yeah. Like, is this going to be a reset, rebuild? And, um, you know, they're competitors at the end of the day, Andy. I mean, they've won state championships in high school. They've won big games and conference championships in college or national championship in colleges. These guys want to win, and there's probably a concern in some of their heads like, is this the rebuild? How long is this going to take? You know, you're trading away two of our best players. Um, yeah, m- money helps, but I think money can only satisfy a certain part of that athlete's mindset, and they want to win. They want to succeed and shine on the big stage, and I don't know if Washington – it's going to be that place for, for a couple of years because, let's be honest, Andy, probably um, Ron Rivera, front office, they're probably going to be gone at the end of the season, and there's going to be a new coaching staff, a new front office with new messaging, new direction, and in a sense it's going to be a start over for Terry McLaurin and a Jonathan Allen who've been here uh, for a lot of years already. Yeah. The, uh, the, the speculation, you know, when the trades were announced immediately was, uh, for most of us, okay, that's it. That's the you know, new owner's stepping in. He's taking control here. And Rivera did a pretty good job, I thought, of, of explaining his side of how it worked, that uh, they sat down with, with the ownership. And he said, he said, what did he say? He said, Josh Harris is a deep thinker, something I'm sure was yeah. never said about Dan yeah. Snyder. Uh, no, no knee-jerk reaction, that kind of yeah. thing. But uh, he also did admit that the new analytics guy who was hired by Harris, and again, this is supposed to be a coach-centric operation where the coach makes all the decisions on that, uh, it's it's a clear indication that that the ownership is taking control of this, and I guess it's in the best interest of Rivera to be a good soldier because he wants to show who if, if somebody else wants to hire him that he's not an, an uncooperative guy. I mean, how, how did you read all of that? Yeah, I mean, surprise, surprise. You knew this was coming when somebody buys a six billion dollar asset. You're going to do what you want to do, and his history with Josh Harris. He's big on analytics. Look at the Sixers. Look at the New Jersey Devils. And he brought in his guy, and that's the way this ship is going to run. This is not a coach-centric approach anymore. That Maybe that was, a, that was the situation with Dan Snyder. This is all Ron Rivera is going to bring information to Josh Harris and that group, and Josh and his, the people around him are going to make the decisions for the time being. Could that change? Absolutely. That's when Josh Harris is going to hire the people – he wants to hire in those front office roles and head coaching roles. But for now, yes, he, Ron Rivera is playing the part. He's doing a great job of playing the part. Uh, he's not trying to stir the pot. And he's just going to go about the way uh, Josh Harris wants him to go about it. Mm-hmm. Talking to Scott Abraham, uh, ABC7, there were some uh, anonymous uh, sources who told Michael yeah. Silver and others that, that Chase Young was not following the defense, freelancing, et cetera, which, you know, smacked to the old days of Bruce Allen and Dan Snyder, you know, just crushing people 
on their way out the door. Uh, Rivera was asked about it yesterday and said something yeah. like, you know, if you don't put your name on it, you know, you shouldn't put it out there. But it 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 certainly is something that that would make uh, the the coaches the coaching staff look better uh, if you're trading away the former number two pick of the draft that he wasn't doing it their way. What was your feel having been as around them as much as you have? Whether that was really the case about Chase Young. So I mean. I'm torn because Chase Young and I go way back. Like I've covered this young man since his Damatha days. Like I've I've known his family. I've known him mm-hmm. for a long time. And uh, I call this an organizational failure. I, I was very public in the fact of saying um, this is a number two overall draft pick. Andy, he's supposed to be a generational talent, uh, a face of the franchise, and it's just all sad how it all ended. Could part of it be on injury? Certainly. Could part of it be on Chase Young? Absolutely. But at the end of the day, if according to that report, he's freelancing or not following the game plan, that's on the coaches, Andy. I I go back to this analogy of like, if you're a newspaper writer and you write a story and your editor doesn't necessarily like it, but he still runs it, that's on the editor. So if he's not doing what you want him to do, in the game or in practice, do something about it. Put your foot down. Figure out a way to make sure he's successful in doing what he's supposed to do. The guy has so much talent, and I just it's just frustrating to see how a number two overall draft pick fetches only a second-day draft pick four years later. It's a failure. That should not happen, and it sets the franchise back, and I just think it's very frustrating for the fans. Uh, to see a Chase Young walk out the door and you get a third-round compensatory pick uh, for the number two overall pick. Yeah, it probably will remain as one of the big symbols of the failure of this coaching staff and and led by Ron Rivera. Now, he had to deal with a lot of stuff that coaches don't normally have to deal with, but that was the first draft pick he made, uh, was supposed to be a game-changing type of player, and, and from time to time he was. He was not healthy a lot of the time, and uh, and that that was that was certainly on the coaching staff. But again, I think that goes back to if the coach is picking the players, then he's less likely to admit he made a mistake. You know, sometimes a, when a coach you know will, will bench a guy who the general manager thought was really good, well, okay, but that's his call. That's what the general manager does. Here are your players. You do what you want with them. So I guess that, in, in many ways, that was symbolic of, of why this was such a spectacular failure with this coach-centric operation. What do you think? But, but to, their, to your point, Andy, there have been a lot of failures and missteps with personnel over the last four years. You go back to a William Jackson, big free agent mm-hmm. signing, cornerback. They traded his butt quickly. Nick Gates, big free agent signing, center. He's not even a starting center anymore. You go back to even this year's draft. They reach on a second-round pick in Quan Martin. He barely sees the field. Like, there's just some head-scratching moves by this coach-centric approach, personnel department, and it just all adds up. And I just don't think they've done a necessarily good job of hitting on their draft picks and hitting on free agency. And that's why there has not been a lot of improvement from year one year four talking to scott abraham ab7 abc7 uh juicy rumor that that fuels sports radio and uh, what mike florio does <laughs> he's oh yeah uh, you've heard this okay so that, that if you're not familiar with this florio on his show yesterday and then was on with rich eisen yesterday as well 
uh, saying that he's heard in the wind that Bill Belichick could possibly be traded here. And when the Patriots put it out, or the word leaked out a couple of weeks ago that that Belichick signed an extension that was, hey, we're not going to fire him. If you want him, you're going to need to trade for him. What do you think the chances are Josh Harris brings in Bill Belichick in a trade here next year? One percent. I just (laughs) I wouldn't go that high. I I I can't believe it. I mean, I I literally, you know, I, I reached out last night to somebody very close to Josh Harris, and they said the theories are absolutely not true. Mm-hmm. And, and um, okay, so you l- look at it kind of from the big picture. I don't know. What, how old is Belichick? Is 70, 70, 71? 70? Yeah, he's, he's yeah. up there, right. I, I just don't think, God bless him, a lot of Super Bowls, he's that old school mentality. I just don't think that type of mentality – will work with, with a young group in Washington. And I think you need a young coach, uh, uh, an analytically driven coach. So, um, I look at like a Miami Dolphins, McDaniel, mm-hmm. love him. He's got a, he's got a, uh, he's got a quirkiness to him that is really endearing, but he's smart as heck. And I think that's somebody Josh Harris would, would kind of latch on to not, not, not a bill Belichick. Yeah. He's, you, you love the whole story of, He's from Annapolis. He was a ball boy yeah, yeah. Uh, with the Baltimore Colts. You know, a homecoming in a sense. Uh, I, I don't buy it, and uh, I think it would be more of a, a maybe a former assistant or or, or, or an up and coming assistant, somebody that's young, hungry, all about the analytics, smart. Um, a Kevin O'Connell, a, a McVay, a Mike McDaniel, that type of cut, cut of the cloth type deal. Well, you, you know, you know what would have prevented those guys from being hired here don't you the shanahan connection that that the pettiness the, well, that, that, yeah well, that's what the snyder, that was the snyder era right i understand that but but dan snyder was making the, the josh harris didn't get here till july 20th so yeah yeah so that but you you think and you just rattled off a few of them there's a, there's several more out there <laughs> they they are running the league now all the former shanahan assistants are 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 having this great success but because of the pettiness and stupidity of the previous ownership those guys wouldn't have even come in for interviews you you've heard that uh i guess it was who was it uh was it gruden yeah jay gruden said this that he wanted to trade Kirk Cousins to San Francisco for a first-round pick, which would have been like the num- yeah, well, number yeah. three pick in the draft. They didn't want to deal with Kyle Shanahan. So, yeah, I think, I think when you open up the, the, the door for possibilities of new head coaches and you eliminate the pettiness of not wanting anybody connected with Shanahan, you got a pretty good choice there, don't you think? I mean, that's, that's a pretty good list. It's amazing when you look back, Andy, of that coaching staff with the Shanahan era, with RG3 days. I mean, yeah. what are they? You have LaFleur in Green Bay, McDaniel, uh, O'Connell, mm. or maybe not O'Connell, Kyle Shanahan. No, O'Connell was there. He, he was not, I think it was, was the he, quarter, was quarterback's coach. Yeah, yeah. They, no, all these guys were there. They, the Shanahan was amazing. And, uh, and, and they, that went sour because, uh, you know, Dan Snyder undermined him with RG3. It's just. Yeah, so a lot of this is going to be turn the page, and uh, January. Yeah, I mean, yeah, January is going to be interesting. Don't take a family vacation in early January. All right. You, you think uh, right? Exactly. <laughs> I know. I think we do have a Disney trip actually in January. Um, but you, you look at Ron Rivera's kind of the same cloth of of Bill Belichick in the sense of just the old school mentality and and whatnot, the old guard. 
I, I really don't think Josh is going to go that direction. I think it's going to be, as we talked about, that younger approach, the, the smart, uh, analytically driven um, uh, Mike McDaniel type. That, that's what I would you know, bet my money on. All right, nine games to go, and uh, and then the fun begins. Yeah. Yep. All right. I know it's, it'll be interesting, Andy. Appreciate you, big guy. You, you too. Thanks, Scott. That's uh, Scott Abraham, ABC Seven. Uh, he has me on his show from time to time. It's a lot easier these days. You know, the the studios of of Channel Seven, they're down where the old USA Today building used to be in Roslyn. Those big uh, those big metallic looking buildings, and prior to the pandemic. You get an invite, and it was, it was very nice to get invited to be on these shows, but you'd have to schlep down there. Once the pandemic came and Zoom took off, it's great. You just you just get, you do it in your underwear. Not that I would, but you could. You can do it from your house. It's, uh, it's really a cool thing. Are you ready for hard-hitting observations? Reality remains reality, no matter how hard you try to ignore it. The Ben Shapiro Show brings you all the news you need to know in America today. Again, I'm all here for the pop culture, people dating each other for the press. Ben breaks down the culture and never gives an inch. Every so often, and by every so often, I mean literally every 27 seconds when the producer gets fired. The Ben Shapiro Show on YouTube or wherever you listen. 